Welcome to the Deeper Into Movies podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I'm the founder and lead curator of Deeper Into Movies. We're a pop-up cinema based in London and New York. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by writer-director Robert Eggers, director of The Witch, The Lighthouse, The Northman, and the upcoming remake Nosferatu. This was a really cool chat. Robert had literally just finished shooting Nosferatu a few hours ago. So I think he was pretty wired. It's pretty intense. I think he's an intense guy anyway. But this made for a really cool chat. And huge thank you to Arrow. Arrow Video who set this up. They're about to release a beautiful 4K of The Lighthouse director approved and Robert was shooting he wasn't doing any press but they vouched for me and they got me a little 30 minute window so hugely grateful to those guys and for their services to movies physical media I get excited every time Arrow do their monthly releases to see what is in store here is me and Robert Eggers How are you, buddy? Great. We've got an echo coming. You do. Testing. And it's gone. We're good. Wonderful. Sorry, I had that horrible thing where I could hear my voice feeding back, which is the worst part of podcasting is hearing ramblings for an hour or so. (laughs) Are you already shooting Nosferatu? They said you were in production. Yeah, I I wrapped principal photography at 4 a.m. Fuck, it's, it's in the can. Yes, we have we have two days of or two nights of animals and VFX elements Monday and Tuesday, but principal photography is finished. I'm so excited for you. That's going to be amazing. Weirdly, we had a live score performance of Nosferatu last month with, do you know Joseph Van Wysum, who plays the lute? Uh, not personally. <laughs> I mean, his music. Yeah, he did a reimagined live score of Nosferatu for us, which was spectacular. He pitched it to us and we were like, because we program movies alongside the podcast and we're like, this is going to be really expensive. We need to fly him in, obviously hire the cinema and stuff. And then he said, I play the lute. I've got a rare vinyl of bird sounds from extinct birds. And it ends in slow death metal. And I was like, take my money. We need to do this. This is what overdraft facilities are for. But, <laughs> but yeah, it was so spectacular. He's such a unique character. That's so cool. Your level of detail and research is so intense for each of your films. I know you spoke to Viking historians for Northman. You learn about farming techniques for the witch. Lighthouse, you gave them um, period writings from the time and dialect tapes. Is, is this pleasurable for you or is this a painful process? I was wondering. I love it. You know, like I think had, had I not been doing, had found the career path that I have, like maybe I would have been 
an archaeologist myself. I don't know. You yeah. know, I mean, I, I truly, uh, I, I truly enjoy it. <laughs> like, I think, I th- like, I think, um, you know, making a contemporary movie would, wouldn't be very much fun for me, partially because I just in, enjoy the, the act of, of research. Yeah. Do you think this is a key component to your filmmaking? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, it's certainly my, it certainly is my approach now and it would hard be hard for me to imagine it any differently. Certainly like, I think, I think because I'm telling stories that take place in the past, the stories do tend to end up a little bit differently because we're trying to follow the rules of the period. Certainly you could tell like as good or a better Viking story than the Northmen by just imagining what, what, what you wanted. And uh, because certainly like, you know, there's so little evidence uh, about, you know, how, how Norse people lived in that time period that, that, that you could have a lot of freedom. Uh, but I think that it would tend to be more similar to other things that are out there. Uh, and if, and by going back to the source material, I find that I can find things that are often, not always, but, but often or sometimes a bit more unique, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as far as the like specificity of the, you know, the material world, you know, that is, I think the, the, it enriches the viewer and, and makes you more immersed and, and believe in the world more. But again, like it's certainly not essential to good storytelling, you know, uh, you know, how many, like most Westerns ever made, like aren't, are not very accurate as far as like costumes uh, and, and sets go, but that doesn't make them any less enjoyable as stories. Are there any movies you cite specifically that you find inspiring in terms of historical accuracy or detail? Is there anything you take note or inspiration from in that sense? Uh, I mean, there's there's plenty of things, but we'll just, I mean, Tombstone is actually a very like historically accurate uh, as far as the material world uh, for, for, for a Western. And it was something that I enjoyed uh, a lot as a kid. Uh, but I talk about Andre Rublev a, a lot, and obviously Visconti's films, he does a similar approach, and sometimes Franco Zeffirelli's stuff. I mean, Kubrick, Kubrick credits Franco Zeffirelli as the first person to really do this and to like take a painting and replicate exactly the costume from the painting. But interestingly enough, uh, Murnau like was trying to do it in, in Nosferatu. He sort of lost the plot a little bit. He and Alba Grau on some of the women's costumes, but the men's costumes are are very, very well done. And and the sets, while sometimes a little low budget, like do, do a good job of, of trying to in, interpret the Biedermeyer the period. And Carl Dreyer also was doing that in, in, in the silent era. So uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's not... It's not the most unique thing on the planet. Uh, and, you know, and certainly like, you know, Michael Mann's uh, Last Mo- Last of the Mohicans and stuff. I mean, there's 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 plenty of films that have endeavored to do this. I think that, you know, it's because it is so part of my approach, it becomes like a major 
talking point mm-hmm. <laughs> for 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 me and my films, but it's not it's not it's not so remarkable, maybe. No, I think it's just refreshing in the when I, you know when everyone's talking about film culture being on the decline and stuff. I think it's just much more. It stands out much more when we see kind of auto visionary filmmakers who are just uh, so driven and obsessed by their art. It's a nice thing. Cool. This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a creator streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover. I've been a Mubi subscriber for years, and I'm going to dig in and give you free recommendations from the Mubi UK platform. Okay, I got a text from my friend yesterday, Emmett, who works at the Kiln Cinema in Kilburn, and he's a huge cinephile. He watches two to three movies a day, and he told me about Patrick Keeler's Robinson trilogy. It's called Postcards from England, and it's a documentary slash travelogue around London with an unknown narrator. And it's a great study of London, full of psychodrography and hauntology. I haven't seen it, but I trust his taste. So there's one for you to watch and one for me to watch. National Gallery by master documentarian Frederick Wiseman, where he goes behind the scenes of the day-to-day workings of the National Gallery. And it's beautiful and in-depth. It's clocking in at three hours, but it's beautiful once you get into the feel and pace of a film. It's just so rewarding. And yeah, it's a beautiful portrait. Yep, that joke. Okay, moving on. Okay, this isn't even a recommendation. This is essential viewing. A Personal Journey with Martin Scorsese for American Movies. This documentary is clocking in just under four hours and it's basically like having a Scorsese film school in your living room. Scorsese just takes you through all his favorite movies and documentaries in American film history. And... It's a love letter to cinema, and Scorsese is just so wonderful to listen to. You can try Mubi for free for 30 days at mubi.com slash deeper into movies. That's mubi.com slash deeper into movies for one whole month of great, great cinema for free. So take advantage of that. Do that now.
it was crazy looking back on Nosferatu when when we were doing our research that this was a really low budget German movie. It's kind of crazy that it wasn't really intended to be seen outside of a small German audience initially. That was its expectations, let's say. It is primitive. It's not. It's not even Mordau's best film. Certainly, one of his weakest films, technically. Uh, you know, if you compare this to The Last Laugh or Sunrise or mm-hmm. Faust, you know, I mean, it, it hails in comparison. But, uh, but you know, uh, it clearly, you, you know, he he just had an eye for these archetypal images that have sort of you know established what dracula movies are and what horror films are and uh and 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 then he has the incredible performance of of max shrek and that brilliant um makeup designed by grau and shrek uh and uh yeah it works yeah, it's crazy. I, I I bought the Blu-ray of Salem's Lot because I'd never seen the extended miniseries version. I'd already seen the small version. And I, and I was like, this is complete Nosferatu-looking vampire. It was, incre- it was incredible. That scene in the kitchen where he just pops up, it's so fucking terrifying. <laughs> yeah. When he just puts a child in a headlock, it was like, this is amazing. I was thinking for the lighthouse, the incredible final scene where you're actually at the top of a lighthouse with a light. How, how long did you spend designing the light? Did you make that accurate or did you want to make something cool or something in between? I was wondering your approach. No, again, like there's, there's no invention. So that, that's like, um, it was made by that. That's that those Fresnel lenses, uh, that were used in lighthouses in the latter third of the 19th century are beautiful. And it was part of what was inspiring to the, to the story is that they look like a jewel, like an art deco spaceship. Yeah. They, don't, they don't, they, 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 they look science fiction. They look magical. They look ethereal. And so, yeah, we basically, um, they're, they're what they're, the, we shot on this peninsula called Cape Foreshoe that we made look like an Island. And there, there is, um, a, a lighthouse on Cape Foreshoe. Uh, that was like further up the island. Uh, and this was sort of a, a kind of not particularly romantic looking mid-century lighthouse. Um, and But in uh, the local museum, they had um, the Fresnel lens of from, from the 19th century lighthouse that was there on display. And we made, uh, we, we, we knew we wanted like a certain, like I, there's um, first order, second order, third order, is how you like talk about the size of the lenses and like the further away, the larger like from land, the larger the lens is and, and, and that would be a first order. But we knew that because of budget and because of like how tall the scaffolding could be to, to make a practical lighthouse without falling over and blah, blah, blah. We knew it needed to be, I think, a, th- a third order lens. So we so we basically made a smaller version of like like a smaller replica of the of the lens that was originally there which i think which is a second order and it also had eight legs uh which seemed good for the whole like octopus squid kind of stuff we were we were doing with mm-hmm. with Willem. so that's amazing i couldn't yeah I, I i imagine it would have been accurate but it also it looks so cool i was like maybe they just 
It was made by a company in Florida that does replicas of these lenses for museums. And you built the lighthouse completely from scratch. Is that right? We did. Yeah. How long did that take? Uh, you know, the, the length of movie prep. So you right. things go up quickly, but, but, you know, but again, it's not like, it's not real. Like on the, on the witch, um, because the materials that the farm were, was made out of were so humble. We, 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 we literally used like everything that was on camera was the correct building materials and built with the, the period tools, but we, but we weren't going to be able to like build a brick lighthouse, you know? Yeah. So, so, so here, uh, you know, it was the, you know, the bricks are plaster and all that kind of stuff, that, that kind of thing. How do you find set life? I know, do you enjoy being on set or is it, a painful, stressful time. I know directors have. Very it is a painful, stressful time, but I also, but I also, I think because I come from theater and because I am have the great luxury of being able to make these period worlds. Like I really love being on set. I love working. I really love working with the actors, and I love you know being in like physically standing in the the environment that I've yeah. uh, imagined. Imagine it's very pleasurable. I wish that I could you know have all the, the sets, you know, resurrected in like a, a, a theme park of my own, you know, misery land. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You should pitch that to A24. That sounds, that sounds beautiful. And are you still shooting single camera? Of course. Talk to me about your choice for that. I know you said, I may be paraphrasing. You said with a single camera, you're a lot more conscious about your com- composition and choices is that is that the reason yeah i mean i think you know kurosawa shot multiple camera but he was always working like you know each camera operator is like you know one of the finest dops in japan and and there's a lot of intention in like in what every camera is doing and when you watch a battle scene that might be cuttier than my personal taste you still feel like the weight of every edit and you, and there's, and, and, and it's, and it feels, uh, thought through. <laughs> and I think, um, and, and, and perhaps maybe, you know, maybe one day I would make a, a multiple camera film. Who knows, you know, uh, there's a lot of things about my life that have turned out differently than I would have expected. <laughs> but, um, but I think that, as as it's developed as a technique, it becomes something where like you shoot a whole bunch of shit and you figure it out in the edit room, which yeah. is also like fine, you know, like it's it's fine. But I think that uh, you know sometimes it leads to like stuff that doesn't for me have as much weight because you're kind of it's 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 your you know film obviously is is an illusion, but it's even more of an illusion because because there's no there there like you're using lots of bits and pieces of like takes that didn't quite work out from different angles to kind of cobble something together that feels like it works instead of getting something that has like momentum like and and, and that it had when you you know um you know i mean and that's and then that, you know that's just like an opinion and obviously sure. uh lars von trier you know shoots these handheld messes with a million cuts 
that are completely full of life and and, and truth and, and weight. So, you know, and, and, and Terrence Malick does something kind of in between and that can also feel like incredibly effective. So, you know, to each their own and, and, and I, and I can see like, 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 like a lot of value in, in, in everything, but, but for me, this is, this is what, this is what speaks to me the most. Is it a quicker shoot or longer as a, it's about the same, but we, we shoot less stuff. Yeah. The, the, the second to last day of principal photography was a 13 hour day and we shot three shots, Right, but they were complicated shots, <laughs> you know? And going back, what kind of theater were you making? Um, I mean, you know, growing up, I did a lot of musicals, uh, you know, as a kid and, and Shakespeare, uh, like uh, musicals are, are kind of around, but um and my mom had a kids theater company um and i also worked with this guy edward langlois langlois who had a theater in dover that was doing like you know uh the duchess of malfi and uh and sam shepherd plays and uh tennessee williams and more like serious stuff and uh uh you know and then and then in new and then and then like i the only thing i have an education in his acting and I, and I, and in, and in New York, like I formed a theater company with some friends and, and we did uh, like, again, mostly classical theater. Um, uh, but, uh, but, but I was around the sort of downtown New York theater scene. I worked a lot at, at, at La Mama. Um, so yeah, that kind of stuff. What was your favorite musical? Uh, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't really care for musicals to be honest with you that might, you know, like, like probably unsurprisingly, the one musical that I truly love is, is, is Sweeney Todd. Okay. That adds up. That tracks. And what, what Shakespeare did you adapt? Uh, I directed Hamlet, Romeo and Juliet, Othello. Um, and, and, but I, but I was played a lot of Shakespearean villains and a lot of other people's stuff uh, in, in New York. And, and then as a kid, I, you know, did Midsummer Night's Dream, The Tempest or whatever. Does acting still appeal or is filmmaking your, your thing now? Willem wants me, him and I to do a play together where I'm on stage. Um, so we'll see if that ever happens. And, uh, I did, I wrote a, a film that I hope I'll make that there's a play in the film and I thought like that I could do an okay job playing a play actor because my acting wouldn't have to be that good. Uh, <laughs> but so we'll see. <laughs> We're running a Paul Schrader season as of next month. And we got in contact with Willem to send us a video intro for Light Sleeper. He is the sweetest guy. The intro pretty much made the team cry. It was so heartfelt and touching. His tribute to Schrader was just so nice. Yeah, Willem's the best, you know. He really is. He's a remarkable, he's a remarkable guy. I mean, obviously, he's one of the greatest actors probably of all time. And uh, but he's also like a, a warm and generous person. And unlike a lot of actors, he's interested in like a lot of things aside from acting and aside from himself. Mm-hmm. So 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 he he's like uh you know, just great company. And I want to end on this odd question that you said as a kid, you were really into 
dressing up in costume and you would request costumes from your parents. I was super curious what what type of costumes were you wearing and what drew you to this? I don't know what drew me to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, all, all, all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, uh, Darth Vader, Superman, Scrooge, um, vampires, you know, the whole the, the whole lot. Okay, I asked because I was very similar. Yeah, I had the Transformers. I had Dracula every Halloween. How method were you going? Were you really immersive or was it just fun and... Uh, no, I would certainly, you know, like walk around town with a cane like as <laughs> a six-year-old being Scrooge, you know? Okay, I'm seeing your origin story perfectly tracked out here. This is. <laughs> Do you have another film in mind, or are you too deep in Nosferatu to even think about other projects? I always try to have a lot of things going on. Um, obviously, the the WGA strike, which I fully support, it, it like it makes things complicated because like there's a couple scripts that are in the works that I like will not touch because of the strike. So. We'll we'll see how it all pans out, but I but I it's I always like to have uh, a lot of things uh, going because you never know, you know. I mean, honestly, I didn't I didn't think I was going to make like I thought I was going to make Nosferatu next, and then after it fell apart the for the second time, I was surely thought it was not going to be the next film, and I had something else that I was positive was going to go, and and it didn't, and it ended up being Nosferatu. So you never you know, and 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 when and the lighthouse like came about because Nosferatu fell apart the first time. So you never, you never know. It's a very, you know, tricky industry. Fantastic. This has been great. Thanks so much for taking the time. And I can't wait to see your next film. Thanks. Keep up the great work. Thank you, buddy. Bye. Bye. That was me and Robert Eggers. Seriously, Nosferatu is going to be so fucking sick. I can't wait. Okay, that's it from me. Thank you for listening. Thanks again to Louisa Arrow for hooking that up. Thank you to Joshua Eustace, aka Telephone Tel Aviv, for my beautiful music. And to you guys for listening. We'll speak soon.